Ladies Ensemble, and that was a blessing. And Brother Steve, of course, I've, I've, I've always been amazed that he can get up here and just start singing a cappella and be right on key. If I try that, I, I have to search the entire first verse just to find the tune, you understand. Uh, but thank the Lord there. God has gifted him with that, and I, I appreciate his willingness to use that for the glory of the Lord. Good to see all of you back this morning. We do still have a lot of folks that are out sick, so be praying for one another. This allergy season has been terrible uh, for a lot of folks, and so be praying for them, if you will, and uh, be praying that <coughs> God will cause our numbers to increase. Amen? I've got an announcement here that I was asked to make, and if I don't do it now, I'll forget. Oh, I said if you're going to the ladies' conference in Colleen, that is not this coming weekend but the following uh, then you need to sign up at the Welcome Center today so they can get some kind of an idea of how many are going. If you've got any questions about that, you can always see Ellis, and she knows everything there is to know, right? And so just uh, just check with her if you would, please. I want to invite you, if you would, please, to open your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of James, James chapter 1. Um, we've been going for the last few weeks talking about understanding temptation from a biblical perspective talking about both aspects of temptation, uh, the trial of our faith, and temptation to evil, to sin. Concentrated primarily last week on the constant, or the uh, temptation to sin, talking about where it comes from and what the purposes of it are, both on the side of God, who is, of course, not the originator of temptation, but uh, he does allow uh, sometimes those things to come into our lives uh, to see how we'll stand. Uh, but we saw the purposes of it, and today we're going to be trying to finish up that series. And I'm not making any promises, you understand, but we're going to give it a try. James chapter 1, we want to begin reading in verse number 2, and I will ask you, as our custom is, to stand with me in reverence to the Word of God. This kind of gets you awake, you understand. gives me about 10 minutes before you fall asleep again. Uh, no, seriously, this is obviously out of reverence to the Word of God because it is the Word of the living God. John, James chapter 1, beginning of verse 2. The Bible says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Let me, let me pause there. Go back and read that again just so that we can catch it, okay? My brethren, count it all joy when you call, fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here to your house. I, I thank you for the faithfulness of your people, and thank you for those who are excited about serving you and, and being uh, in amongst the fellowship of the saints, uh, being able to rub shoulders with those who are serving the great and mighty God. Lord, it is such a joy, such a privilege to know that we're yours and, and to know that we've been called as servants of yours. And I pray that you'd guide us today as we approach your word, help us to understand the things that are revealed in it. Lord, I pray for the wisdom, as you've instructed us here in this chapter, uh, to ask of you wisdom. But we do ask you wisdom this morning that we would know not only how to understand the facts that are being portrayed here, but how to put them into practice, how to apply them to our daily lives, and how to live them out before the world. As always, Lord, I want to ask you that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, 
that they would hear enough of the gospel today to understand their need of you and be drawn to you and that they would accept you before they would leave this place. But Lord, for your people, I pray very simply that we would be obedient to your leadership, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and whatever you lead us to do, that we would do it. As your vessel today, I ask for forgiveness of sins. I, I ask for fullness of your spirit. Lord, I ask you for your power. I don't have any desire to just stand here and make noise. I want to be used of you. And so I ask you humbly, Lord, to speak through me to the hearts of your people and that you would cause them to receive it in the spirit in which is given. Thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. As I said, today we're going to be finishing up our series of messages on understanding temptation. Uh, just about every one of the New Testament epistles has something to say about trials, temptations, and suffering in general. And several of them go into quite a comprehensive study of the matter. Uh, they talks a lot about our struggles in this life. We seem to cycle through periodic messages or series, a series of messages regarding these concepts uh, because uh, they're so prevalent in our lives. And because we, they tend to be great sources of discouragement if we're not very vigilant. Most teaching and preaching about the Christian life can be loosely categorized under two headings. How to face suffering or bad times and how to face prosperity or good times. Right? I mean, that's what our, our Christian instruction has to do with. And that's obviously an oversimplification. But it does somewhat explain the frequency with which we tend to examine these particular subjects. The fact of the matter is that even though we are aware of trials and that they are a constant and unrelenting part of our Christian existence, we still tend to be blindsided by them when they come. And our reactions still tend to be opposite to what they ought to be. Instead of rejoicing, we get discouraged or downcast or even downright gloomy. We allow ourselves to fall into anxiety or even in dis to despair, forgetting that God has given us ample warning that these trials are to come, and he's given us the tools that we need both to prepare ourselves for them and to deal with them when they come. I'll tell you what, when you stop having trials, I'll stop preaching about them. How's that? Okay, that's a deal. Uh, in all seriousness, God tells us over and over again in his word that our response to trial ought to be rejoicing. This is a command, that we are to rejoice or be joyful when our trials come. As odd as it may sound, we're not to mope over troubles, but to rejoice in them. I want to give you an, an encapsulated look this morning into why a Christian ought to rejoice in his trials. There are three broad reasons that we're going to be looking at uh, and that I want to uh, talk about with the understanding that there are several more reasons that could be and may be included under each of those. For our purposes today, we've got to rejoice in tribulation because of what God is doing in our lives, first. Secondly, we ought to rejoice in tribulation because of the company that it puts us in. And then thirdly, we ought to rejoice in tribulation because of what we can look forward to because of that tribulation. So let's get started with what God is doing. Going back to our text this morning, here in the second chapter of the book of James, our title, if you're wanting it, is Rejoicing in Trials. Uh, but rejoicing in the trials, we want to look at what God is doing. Verse 2, the Bible says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. 
God specifically commands us in this particular verse that we are to count it all joy, that we are to rejoice when all kinds of trials come into our lives. I, I don't know about you folks, but I, I'm, of, I'm not made of such stern stuff, okay? I, I'm a little bit of a baby when it comes to trials and tribulations, and I'm just being honest. Uh, when, things, these things, when things are not going the way that I expect them to go or when things begin to go contrary to my planning, sometimes my tendency is to think either that God is mad at me about something or just to get overall mad in general, you know, to sell up like an old bullfrog. You ever do that? All right. Now, listen, folks, I'm being honest with you. You ought to be honest with me, too, right? <laughs> this, uh, the fact of the matter is that we've not learned to respond to these trials according to the command of God. God says rejoice. When you fall into all kinds of trials, that you are to be joyful. In fact, in verse 12 of this particular passage, he says, Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, that endureth temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. I tell you this morning that we ought to rejoice when our trials come because we know that God is at work in our lives. Listen, folks, the time to get concerned about God's working in your life is when you're not having any problems. All right? When you're not having any difficulties, when everything's smooth sailing and everything's going just the way you think it ought to go, look out. Because God tells us that trials, tribulations, testings, provings are a normal part of our Christian existence. And when we see those things come, we know that God is at work. God tells us specifically in this particular passage that he uses tribulations or he uses trials, he uses testings to produce in us the virtue of patience. Now, go back, if you would, please, with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And the Bible says there, uh, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Now, there's one step beyond even joy, okay? He says not only do we joy in tribulations, Romans says we exult in them. We, we glory in them. Uh, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So God tells us that the purpose for tribulation, or one of the purposes for tribulation in our lives, is to produce patience. The understanding of patience, according to the Word of God, patience is actually a word that means steadfastness. It means constancy. It means being able to hang in there, if you want to use a little bit more modern expression. It means endurance or long-suffering. That's a good old-fashioned word. Putting up with a lot, if you will. And God tells us that he, he enables us to hang in there for the long haul, if you will, by these small trials, these small testings that come in our lives. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have heard the old joke that we kind of pass around amongst ourselves that we don't pray for patience, right? I don't want to pray for patience because God tells me how he's going to bring patience in my life, and that's through tribulation. Can I just say, I understand the joke. I laugh right along with you when we say it. But let me explain something to you. You're going to have tribulations whether you pray for them or not, Okay. Uh, that's not the point. The point here is not to not pray for patience. The point is to pray that, uh, listen, James chapter 1 tells us what we ought to pray for. Verse 4 says this, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And then in verse 5 he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. 
Now, the way I'm understanding this is that we ought to desire that patience do what it was designed to do in our lives. When the tribulations come, God builds in us patience. We allow that patience to have its perfect work, to complete the job that God brought it into our lives to do. And if we don't understand what that purpose is, then we are fully within our rights as children of God to say, hey, God, you know what? I don't get this. Can you give me some wisdom? Right? I don't understand what's going on. Will you give me the wisdom to at least respond properly to the testing that's going on? Now, I will tell you this. God is not obligated to always give us the reasons for our testing. Sometimes he tests just, just so that our faith can grow. But the point is that we ask God for wisdom because the patience is going to come naturally. I also want to remind you that while uh, we, we, we jokingly say that I don't pray for patience, you understand that patience is a virtue that's commanded and actually produced by God in our lives. Luke chapter 21, verse 19 says this, In your patience, possess your souls. In your patience, possess your souls. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with, what? There's that word again, with joyfulness. So we're strengthened with all might. We're doing this according to his glorious power. And the result is patience, longsuffering, and, oh, by the way, joy. Some of us lose our joy because we get our eyes on the circumstance. We forget that God is at work behind all of those circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 says it this way. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 7. What happened here? All right. <laughs> I've lost my place. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. There we go. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. But verse 8 says, Be ye also patient. Just like the farmer or the husbandman is patient, he plants the seed one day. He doesn't jump up early the next morning and run out there expecting to have a harvest, right? He waits for the early rain, the latter rain. He waits for the thing to come up. And eventually he knows he'll have a harvest. Verse 8 says, But be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Something we need to remind ourselves, and I'm getting, uh, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's, it fits in here, so I'm going to mention it. And that is the, 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 the striving that we do, the laboring that we do right now is not for right now, primarily. Now, there's some lessons we can learn right now. But ultimately, we're looking for something further down the road. We're shooting for a reward that we'll be talking about at the conclusion of the message this morning. We understand that God is working in us to produce patience, that patience is something that he actually brings about. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, uh, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. One of these days I'm going to preach a message on comforting the feeble-minded. But you're safe today, okay? Uh, support the weak. Be patient toward, you'll understand that in a minute, maybe. Be patient toward all men. I'm just trying to wake you up a little bit. Be patient toward all men. It's part of the commandment of God. God says, I want you to have patience. I want you to have long-suffering. And the only way to get this is through the trials, the troubles, the tribulations that come in your life. Did you know that long-suffering or patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There's that word. Same word in the Greek as what we're looking at here in James, the first chapter. 
It's long-suffering. It's putting up with a lot, gentleness, goodness, faith, and it continues on in that vein. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36 says this, For ye have need of patience. Not me, preacher. Oh, yeah. You have need of patience, right? Anybody who is, ever, who is a parent or has ever been a parent knows that patience uh, is sometimes in short supply, right? But God says, ye have need of patience, uh, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. The point that I'm trying to get around to, folks, and there are a whole lot of other passages that deal with the meaning and the working of patience, long-suffering uh, in our lives, but the point is that God expects his children to exhibit patience. He expects us to be characterized by patience. We're not supposed to be quick off the handle, as they say, or flying off the handle easily. We're not supposed to be quick to anger. We're not supposed to be easily led about by our emotions. We are rather to be steadfast and patient in the work of the Lord. Without patience, we'll never arrive at the level of true and abiding joy that God wants to produce in our lives. And the only way to ever obtain patience... Here's the bad news. You know those niggling little problems that you seem to always be having? That's the way you get there. The road map to the virtue of patience which God has commanded is through trials, testings, tribulations. The iron is strengthened by heating, frequent heatings and beatings, right, as God forms us into shape and puts us into the place, the position that he wants to be. So God produces patience in us, but he's also at work uh, perfecting or purifying our faith. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, this is a well-known passage, but the Bible says there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Why does he keep saying that? I think he wants us to get it, don't you? Wherein, now this time he doesn't just say rejoice. He says greatly rejoice. This is like party time rejoicing, okay? He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. God is wise enough to understand that at the moment of temptation, at the moment of trial, sometimes it's pretty heavy, and the rejoicing doesn't necessarily come immediately. The party comes uh, as we get into it and begin to understand it and as we get close to the end, right? But he goes on and he says in verse number 7 that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We know that God uses uh, this testing, these trials, to purify and strengthen our faith. The way that we, Listen, one of the things that we are taught to pray is, God, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief, right? How do, we, how do we get there? Well, again, the only way to get there is through facing trials, getting the victory over them, and moving on to the next level. Our faith grows as God purifies it and burns out the impurities through testing. It brings us to perfection or maturity. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. I love this passage. Somebody brought it to my attention even last week. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that you suffered a while, make you perfect. Did you notice the order there? You don't get to be perfect until after you've suffered a while. They make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So all these things are perfected or all these things are accomplished by the trial of our faith. We are, we are uh, perfected, we are established, that, it, that means plant, firmly planted, we are strengthened, we are settled. 
by the trying of our faith and how we respond to it. Ultimately, and I love this, one of the reasons what God is doing when testing comes in my life is teaching me the strength of Jesus, my Savior. He's teaching me just how strong the Lord Jesus is. You all know the passage in Philippians where the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, right? Do you understand that the great apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write that while he was rocked up in prison and he didn't get there necessarily the first day he was saved? I believe this was probably one of the one of the mantras of Paul's life. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But certainly that grew as he faced the trials, as he faced the shipwrecks, as he faced the beatings, as he faced the, the imprisonments and all the different things that he had in his life. Listen, folks, I, I read the life of Paul, and I thank you, Lord, I thank you that my trials are not like his were, right? But But he got there through those testings so that he could finally come to say, you know what? I can do all things through Christ. And he tells us the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He said unto me, this is God answering Paul with regard to one of the, one of the physical difficulties or trials that he was having, the thorn in the flesh, if you will. And he said, uh, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul said, take it away. God said, nope. In essence, right? Why? Because my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Listen, he's saying, Paul, the reason you got this problem is so that you can know how strong I am. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's response is, fine, let's go there. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity. There's that expression again. Glory in our temptations, glory in our trials, glorying in, in, in my infirmities. These guys are weird. They are unique. They are the people of God. They've begun to understand what God is doing in their lives. So he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't want to do it in my own strength. I want to do it in his strength. I want my life to be an example of what God can do, not of what Tommy can do. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So one of the reasons we ought to rejoice in our trials is because we know when we have troubles that God's working on us. That God is still... God, God hasn't abandoned us. There's still some progress being, being accomplished, and God is still getting us uh, to the end result, okay? But the second reason I believe we ought to rejoice, and I think the Scripture bears this out, why should I rejoice in my trials? Because some of the best people that ever lived have, have the same kind of troubles I do. Now, that's kind of a, that's kind of an indirect way of saying because of the company that you're in. It, uh, listen, it identifies us with past heroes of the faith. Do you understand that you're not the first generation to ever face trouble? There have been a few who come before us that have been through some of these waters before. And God clearly speaks of them many times in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says this, uh, beginning in verse 10, uh, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. 
In Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, uh, essentially the same statement, but given a little bit different words here. He says, blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. That means stop being friends, defriend you on Facebook, right? He says, they shall separate you from their company, and they shall reproach you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day. Leap for joy. Man, now he's really getting carried away, right? Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And then notice this last phrase, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. You know what he's saying? One of the reasons you ought to be celebrating when you have trials and difficulties and tribulations is because all of the prophets, and even Christ himself, has been through that same ground before you. It puts you in part of a great company. Listen, folks, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says this, For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. This is a gift that is given to us by God. I don't get it, somebody said. What is this? God has given me the gift of being able to suffer for his sake. Listen, folks, we are being counted amongst the greatest company on earth. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 38 talks of such a company. When it says that others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, uh, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And it continues on talking about the great heroes of the faith. You're in good company if you're going through trials. You're in great company if you're going through temptations. Because all of God's servants throughout history have gone through these trials. And no one ever became great in the Lord's work without great trials and afflictions. I don't know whether you've ever caught that or not. You can read the, the, the Old Testament stories, the New Testament stories. You'll not want, find one hero in there that didn't have a mighty hard time with some of the trials and the tribulations in his or her life. These heroes include the prophets, and the Bible says that they include even Christ himself. First Peter chapter 4, the Bible says this in beginning of verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Jesus suffered great trial of affliction. And it got him to the point of exaltation. And God says, listen, when you suffer, these kinds of things, you're a partaker of the sufferings of Christ. I want to remind you before I move on that the conditions of the kinds of trials that I'm talking about right here, are these, these are, you remember when we were talking about the sources for temptation or the sources for trials? We gave you a list of where these things come from. Obviously, God's got a hand in all of them. And God's got a work that, uh, that he's going to perform in us. But sometimes trials or testing comes from other people, doesn't it? Sometimes there are others that are putting us to the test. Uh, the, the sources that we mentioned before are, are God, the devil, and he's got his reasons for testing you, uh, ourselves, the Bible says that we're to prove ourselves, and then other folks. 
sometimes for good intentions and sometimes for not so good uh, intentions, for nefarious purposes. But God's got his purpose in all of those. And in this particular case, we're talking kinds of testings, those kinds of trials that are inflicted upon us by others, by those involved in the world system, by those that have rejected Christ, those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and obviously they attack, they persecute, they, they put on trial the man or the woman of God for their own nefarious ends, but we know all the time that God is allowing those things to happen because he's got a purpose to accomplish in us. We also need to understand that when these things come, they're directly connected with the cause and the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says this, They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we read a part of this passage a moment ago, but in verses 14 through 16, we actually finished in verse 14 earlier. Verse 14 says, If you reproach for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but rather let him glorify God. On this behalf, these are afflictions that are heaped upon us by others, and God says, "You know what? When that happens, you're in good company." So persecuted they, they the prophets that were before you. Can also add something else in here, something that I've kind of gleaned from the scriptures, and I can't say that there's any place where it says this directly, but one of the one of the principles that I'm seeing over and over again through the Word of God is this: you only draw the enemy's fire. When you're perceived as a threat. The devil doesn't bother those who don't bother him. Right? When I was a kid, now this has nothing to do with anything, but it's a good illustration, so I'm going to use it. (laughs) When I was a kid, my granddad used to have a ranch out in eastern New Mexico and had old low-lying barns scattered out all over the place, and there were were, uh, stones lying about everywhere. Uh, one of the one of the things that we used to do as bored nine ten year old boys, uh, the, the yellow jackets, the wasp, would get up under the eaves of the barn and make their nest. And they were all over the place out there. And most of the time, you didn't have any problems with yellow jackets. But we used to take it upon ourselves to go out to the barn and we put a pocket full of, of stones uh, in our pockets, and we we would go out and and we would uh, evict yellow jackets. Okay, we we were throwing stones at the yellow jacket nest in order to knock them down. Uh, Let me explain something to you. Don't do that unless you can run really, really fast. (laughs) Okay, They don't take too kindly to it when you're knocking down their nest. Now, the whole point is uh, there were several times that we got stung and went crying back to the house. and They'd say, if you leave those yellow jackets alone, they'll leave you alone, right? (laughs) Now, that's not always true, but that was the expression we got. The, the application that I want to make from this, or what I'm trying to illustrate, is if the devil's not buzzing around your head, it's usually because you're not bothering him. You're not any threat. You're, you're, you're sitting back on the seat of do nothing and just kind of resting, coasting along on your laurels, as we say. And uh, the devil doesn't perceive you as a threat, and so he's going to leave you alone. It's the old sleep, let sleeping dogs lie thing. I'm not going to stir this person up because uh, they're, they're not any bother to me. 
But the other side of that coin is, if troubles and trials and temptations are raining down all around me, and it seems like everywhere I turn is another trial and a temptation, I usually take that as a thing of encouragement because, you know what, that means I'm stirring up the yellow jacket's nest somewhere. Right? You understand what I'm saying? It means that I've kind of shaken the devil up. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I kind of derive a diverse pleasure from that. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I like causing the devil grief. And I want to be one of those that advances the cause of Christ. Listen, when you encroach on the devil's territory by winning a soul or advancing Christ, the devil gets really mad. And so consequently brings the persecutions and the trials and the tribulations. So I say rejoice because you're getting under the devil's skin. It's just a big part of it. But moving on, not only are you in good company, and not only uh, should you rejoice because God is at work in your life, but finally this morning I think you ought to rejoice because God has promised a future reward to those who endure. Isn't that what he says? Over and over again, God promises us a future reward. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now catch this. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. God says that there is a great reward for those who suffer these things. Not just any old reward, a great reward. Listen, if God says something great is great, it's better than Tony the Tiger. All right? <laughs> I don't know if you remember his old sugar-frosted flakes, and they're great. Uh, listen, when God says something's great, I think God knows what he's talking about. He says great is their reward in heaven. Uh, the reward that we're talking about includes the crown of life. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So we get the crown of life. We get a great reward from God. And this, uh, this is always the thing that excites me about that reward. Now, listen, I can kind of begin to imagine a little bit what I think the crown of life might be like or what the reward, the, the gold, silver, precious stones uh, might be like when I stand before God. But God says that there is a reward that is accompanied by unimaginable glory because of the sufferings and the trials of this life. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. The Bible says this, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And then catch verse 18, For I reckon, I know Paul was a Texan, by the way, he said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul, in essence, said, listen, I don't understand everything there is to understand about the glory that's going to be revealed in us, but I know that it's going to be a whole lot better than what I'm going through right now. It's not even worthy to be compared with the, these current sufferings, these current trials are not even be worthy to be compared uh, with the glory that will be revealed in us. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, For our light affliction. Don't you just love his way of words? God puts these things in, in terms that we can understand. He says our light affliction. Listen, don't complain about how tough things are. God says it's light. You know, you ain't seen nothing yet. Praise the Lord for it. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I want to remind you that the glory is directly connected to the suffering, to the trial, to the temptation. 
I wonder how many of us are responding properly to the temptation that God has brought into our life. God says over and over again, and I know we've talked about these things before, folks, but God mentions it just about in every epistle of the New Testament. The Gospels talk about it. Even the book of Revelation talks about it. He wants us to understand that he is fully aware that there are things that go on in our lives that are, that are difficult. They're, they're hard. But he said, don't be surprised. Don't think these things are strange. I've got a purpose that I'm accomplishing in you. And, oh, by the way, you're in great company when you suffer these things. And to make it worth your while, there's a reward at the end of the road that's waiting for you if you just hang in there and do what God has placed you here to do. Allow it to have its purpose, perfect work in you. Allow it to work through you to produce the things that are pleasing to God. So let me ask you, are you having some difficulty in your life? Are you facing a trial or a tribulation? If you're not, you will be in a minute. Now, I don't say that to be facetious, but it's truth. Trials, difficulties are simply a part of life. But have those trials gotten you down? That's the question. Have they got you discouraged? Don't you think that it's time to allow our loving Lord to put a different face on our troubles, on our temptations? Can you have enough faith in God to rejoice, no matter how it might look to you at the moment? I need to remind you that the reasons for rejoicing in trouble only apply to the children of God. If you're not his, then these promises aren't for you. You understand that there's really only one way that a lost person can re respond to problems, and that's in anguish and despair. Without Jesus, trouble's just trouble, except where it makes you ready to receive his word. So the question for you this morning is, are you ready? Will you let him make you new all over, including the way that you handle tough times, trials, tribulations? question for the lost person this morning is won't you trust in Jesus and let him have his way in you. I'm going to ask you if you would please to stand with me this morning with your heads bowed. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer and then we're going to have a verse or two of invitation. And if God's touched your heart, if there's something that you need to take care of, if maybe you've just been responding incorrectly to the difficulties and the trials of life, God says rejoice. Do you have faith enough to do that? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in us. I pray that your will would be accomplished in our invitation time. In Jesus' name.